Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast, Young Blonde Bourbon. I'm your host, Caitlin Files. I'm a young, white, female-identifying lawyer who lives in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, outside of Philly. This podcast runs as a sister show to Young Black Suburban, hosted by Tim Witherspoon Jr. The Young Suburban podcast hosts guests to engage in conversation about their different life journeys and perspectives. My show, Young Blonde, has a special focus on badass babes out there doing the damn thing. So welcome and thank you for tuning in. Let's jump into today's episode. All right, so we are here today with two of my old students from Academy Prep down in St. Petersburg, Florida. We have Deja Quarterman, Deja Waves, so everyone knows it's from New York, <laughs> and Passion Wells. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for having us. And I'm actually kind of sad because I just learned that you're both 22. So it's been, <laughs> it's making me really old because I was your age when I taught you. So that's just, ew. I'm not as young blonde sperm as I think I am, but whatever. Um, so what we're going to do today on the podcast um, is I kind of wanted to hear about your stories. Um, I've been following you guys as you've been going through grade school, high school, on to college, and now what you've been doing. So um, I wanted to talk about it. And so that you could tell your stories and talk about some of the things that you've experienced or seen happening um, from your perspectives. Sound good? Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, so I met you guys down at Academy Prep. Um, you were my sixth grade students at the time. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and we were down in St. Petersburg, Florida. So are you guys both from there? Yes. So make sure to speak because some people are just going to be listening to this, not just okay. watching you shake your head yes to each other. <laughs> yes. Let's start with you, Deja. Were you, were you born in St. Pete? Yes, I am. <laughs> and you went to, when I met you at Academy Prep, I think you had just started there in sixth grade, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, because I know it started in fifth grade. But mm -hmm. I think you and Passion both started in sixth, right, Passion? Yes. Okay. We did the tour together. <laughs> Is that when you guys met or were you friends before? That's when no, we met. That's when we met. <laughs> so Academy Prep is to thank for this. Yes. Like, oh my gosh, that's cool. I kind of thought you guys knew each other before because of how tight you were in class, but no. Nope. <laughs> Deja, by the way, I should have told you this before we jumped on here. I found all of these old things from Academy Prep and you drew me pictures of me. You literally drew portraits of me. You were probably supposed to be doing work in class, but you were drawing pictures. And you would write in the lockets, like love J Biebs and all this stuff about Justin. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> And if oh I were properly, I would have had them here today. But yes, there are quite a few things that I found of things you drew in sixth grade for me. Today. Oh my goodness. It's, I think you used to take, like, I think you would know I wasn't doing my work and you would take them. <laughs> I did. I would take them. Well, I loved them too. But if you guys were being good, I would put on JB's while we were doing work. So we had a mutual respect for him. Because everyone wanted Trey songs on, and I was like, I can't put Trey songs on. It's oh my goodness! Yeah, they would make the song outside the classroom. Do mm -hmm. what'd you say, Passion? I said I remember us trying to sing Trey songs outside the classroom. 
It was inappropriate, guys. It was inappropriate. <laughs> <It's great. laughs> All right, so Deja, so you didn't say at Academy Prep, though. You guys moved, right? Yeah, we moved um, like half my seventh grade year. Okay, where did you end up going? I ended up in Orange City, Florida. It's like two streets. It's very small. It's where a whole bunch of woods. Like in the, is Central Florida? Yeah, it's Central Florida. It's in between like Daytona Beach and Orlando. Okay. And you shattered Passion's heart when you left. Yes. My heart was shattered too. Like it was, it was a lot. <laughs> Passion, you stayed, your family's from St. Pete. You stayed in St. Pete, right? Yes, I stayed in St. Pete. Okay, so you both went on, went through high school. When you guys were growing up, I mean, passion, I remember, but if, was there anything when you guys were growing up that you're like, I want to be this when I grow up? Yeah, yes. so since I was like 10, I wanted to be a judge. So <laughs> I still have that same goal. <laughs> I remember passion. I remember you telling me in class that you wanted to be a judge and I was going to law school and I was like obsessed with you for wanting that. <laughs> Deja, what did you want to be? Um, when I moved, I joined Abbott at the um, the middle school I went to, and I wanted to be a financial advisor because they had a finance academy at the high school I went to up there, and that's what made me want to. And I had to go through this whole like process, and I was so happy when I got accepted. And then I wanted to be a financial advisor. I still do. You still want to? Okay, so that's what I was going to ask you guys. Now I know Passion is on her way to becoming a judge. Deja, you do still want to become a financial advisor as well? Yes, I want to do that. That's what I'm trying to get my degree for. And I also want to become a real estate agent. So if my degree is in financial services, so in that realm. Okay. So you, after high school, where'd you go to school, Deja? Oh, after high school, I, I still go to St. Pete College. So you State College. in Petersburg. And what are you studying there? Yeah, I'm studying financial services. And we're, we're going to get to your story in a second, Passion, but <laughs> I want to keep going with you. You were doing something pretty cool while you were at St. Pete College, right? Yeah, I joined um, the Europe program. And what's that? Explain it to us, because I didn't know what it was, and it sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, so it's um, the program is a year, and basically it's it's geared towards 18 to 24 year olds. And the whole purpose is to close the opportunity divide. Um, the founder was Gerald Tretavian. Well, I said was, he's still alive. The founder is Gerald Tretavian. And what he wanted to do is provide opportunities to young um, professionals. And the program is, is split into two phases. The first phase is six months, which is the learning and development stage where you will take college classes geared to really polishing professional skills. The second stage is the internship phase. Um, Europe is partnered with a whole bunch of corporate partners throughout the nation, and they provide internships to the students in Europe. And once the internship phase ends, you get offered the job, and that's how we close the opportunity divide, by getting a, our foot in the door that way. That's pretty awesome because there are a lot of jobs like when you graduate college you go to apply for jobs and they're like you need two to three years experience it's like well where am I supposed to get those two to three years experience yeah. in college so that's a really cool program what did you study when you were doing it 
So it has um, IT and business, and I was in the business um, part. So it's like kind of two broad strokes program. You either do the IT and you either do the business. Yeah, and it depends on the location because there is um, like there is a South Florida Europe and they have more like I think they have marketing, business, IT, but it depends on the location because um, the Europe program I joined, I was part of class two and I think they're like on class six now, but the more that um, the program develops, the more other like professional branches they have. So you were in kind of in the early stages of Europe. Yeah, and it's so crazy how I came across it because I was not, um, I had just lost my stepfather that year. It was not a good year. Like it was 2019 when I joined and then I just graduated Europe in 2020. And I was in the library at St. Pete College and the lady, the recruiter, she stopped me and I was going to stop anyway because they had food, but she told me to come back down. <laughs> so I ended up coming back down because I was on my way to, um, I was vice president of the Black Student Union at St. Pete College. So I was on my way to the meeting at the library. And then when I was over the meeting, I came back down and I ended up interviewing and applying for Europe and I ended up getting in. So I really feel like it was fate. That's awesome. Congratulations. That's so cool. Thank you. So what, so now, are, are you still in school at St. Pete? Yeah, so the Europe program is separate. So I had, I went through the Europe program and now I'm continuing my degree. So it kind of like set me off a year, but it actually kind of put me forward work-wise. So are you working as well now? Yes, I'm working. And is it the job you got through Europe? Yep. <laughs> cool, this is a cool setup you got going on. What are you doing? What's the job through Europe? So I work for a life insurance company, New York Life, and I'm a life insurance agent now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. Good for you. Thank um, you. What are you studying at St. Pete? I'm studying um, business administration and financial services. Okay, cool. How many years do you have left? I have one. I'm really not sure because I took this summer off. So I think I have one. She's a working woman. She just can't even pay attention to her college degree anymore. Yeah, my mom gets upset at me. <laughs> you also, Passion mentioned Habitat earlier. Have you been doing Habitat for Humanity? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, that's um, how I got the opportunity to be a potential homeowner. So I, I got to set into that early this year. And now I'm in the process. Wait, what? Explain that. What are you saying? You got accepted to what? To Habitat. So it's a whole process you have to go through for Habitat for Humanity. Um, many people think you have to like have a family, but you don't. So I applied for it and it's actually because of passion. You forgot to mention that passion. Passion is the one that brought it to my attention and really pushed me to like apply for it. I didn't really think I was gonna get this far, but I'm here, so. Guys, passion, that's amazing. Why did you see the Habitat thing and think like this would be good for Deja? So my uncle was heavily involved in promoting Habitat for Humanity because as you know, a lot of black people, they don't own their own property, they rent. And so she was telling me that she was ready to move out and get her own apartment. And I said, why pay rent to someone else when you can own your own place at a relatively affordable rate? So I encouraged her to do it and she already got her lot. She's, you know, 
preparing for them to build the home. So I'm so excited for her. You guys are 22. This is unreal. So Deja, when is, when is this happening? When are you going to get your home? So it has to be built. So I just picked out the location, but around December is when the build should be done. That's awesome. And passion. That is, you're such a good friend. That's so cool that she kind of had her eye out for you. I know. She's always sending me links for scholarships. Like she'll be like, check your email. I just sent you something. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Girl <laughs> power. She do her awesome. So passion. We talked a lot about Deisha. So <laughs> let's talk a little bit about you. Cause you're crushing it. I know what you're doing. Um, we are actually on a board together for the right legacy. Uh, Chris Fox is actually on the podcast two weeks ago talking about the right legacy, but let's, Talk a little bit about you wanting to be a judge because you're like crushing school. How long did it take you? Where'd you go to college? So I went to FAMU, which is Florida A&M University in Tallahassee for undergrad. And I went there to study business. But in high school, I did dual enrollment or also known as the early admissions program at SPC. So I came in with one year of college and I was able to graduate from FAMU in two years. So I graduated in two years. Continue. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was able to get my bachelor's in two years. And then I was a lot of different people tried to encourage me to take a break, but I knew I wanted to go to law school. So probably two weeks after I finished undergrad, I started law school at FAMU's law school. Um, I did really well. And then now I transferred into UF law school. So that's where I am about to finish my last year. I thought you were you were gearing up to graduate law school right now, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you do that on normal schedule or were you also ahead of time? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so I'm just doing the regular schedule for law school. Um, and in between, I will be doing different internships. Right. You were interning at the Philly DA's office, weren't you? Yes. That's what I did last summer. Okay. Now that opportunity, did you, because you obviously live in Florida, were mm -hmm. you did you get that because you could do it virtual? Like, how did you get to the Philly DA's office from Florida? So I actually interviewed with the Philadelphia district attorney in Florida because he came to my school and that was pre-COVID. So I thought I would be going to Philadelphia for the summer. However, um, COVID happened and I was able to do it virtually. That's a huge bummer. We could have actually hung out if you were up in Philly for the summer. <laughs> yes. We're supposed to be here. Oh man. That's kind of annoying. <laughs> you are on your way to become the judge that you still want to become. Yes. You're on your way to still become the financial advisor and a homeowner that you still want to become. That's really cool, guys. I'm really proud of you guys. Um, you're, you also mentioned, because I obviously asked you guys if there's anything specific you wanted to talk about. De uh, Deja, Passion said sweet treats. What is that? Like okay. <laughs> okay. So I um during COVID, I started a small business where I a small baking business called Simply Sweet Delights. And it all started when I made this cake for my boyfriend. And then his family wanted some. And then it just kept going. And I didn't know that I was um like I just recently made a cake and it's been getting better and better. 
but yeah, I'm very happy. So I, on top of my full-time job, I have a small business on the side where I bake and make treats. A little entrepreneur and you weren't even planning on it. Yeah, I didn't always want to own a business. I just wasn't prepared for this to be that soon. Do, are you going to keep doing it, the baking? Yeah, I actually found out that like I really love doing it. So I'm going to keep it up. That's cool. So Passion, I wanted to ask you um, a little bit tougher questions because you have followed not the same route I did, but I obviously went to law school too. Um, I did not think I was going to law school when I was in sixth grade. At sixth grade, I had no career ambitions whatsoever. And I didn't know I was going to go to law school until my junior year of college. I took four years to get through college. I did not do it in two. Um, but for me, um, I grew up in suburbia with lots of privilege. Um, you obviously know I'm white. Um, so to me, like I didn't have to really think about how was I going to law school? And I didn't really have obstacles put in front of me. I am obviously a girl and there were there, you know, once you're in the legal field, you'll see what it's like being a girl in the legal field, but there weren't really obstacles for me to get there. Um, and I know as young black girls, you might have different experiences, passion specifically with you going to law school. Was there anything that you knew was going to be hard for you to get there? Or that was hard for you to even that you had to overcome an obstacle getting there? I think one of the biggest obstacles was financial. Um, my parents, they didn't, you know, put away money for me for school. So they knew that I had this goal, but I kind of just had to figure out how I was going to obtain it. And then also no one really in my family, not too many people in my family went to college or graduated from college, let alone did a graduate program. So just them understanding what it takes to be successful in law school has been a real challenge, especially with COVID being home. When I was away, you know, I had a very strict schedule, but coming home, they would, you know, tell me you need to step away, you know, this isn't healthy. And so that was probably one of the major obstacles, them just not understanding what it took to get there and what it takes to get the grades to keep going. So how do you deal with it? I mean, like you obviously, I mean, did you get scholarships? Like, how are you, how are you doing it? Cause you're doing a lot. Yeah. So it's a lot. So for, um, FAMU law, I started off with scholarship, but once I transferred, I didn't get any scholarship for UF. So it's pretty much just loan. Um, oh. and that's how I fund it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you're using student loans to pay for law school. Yes. Um, I we could talk forever. Um, have you found more of a support system that will help you? Because law school is really hard. And if you don't have that support system that is telling you to just keep going, keep pushing through it, um, for people who don't understand, have you found a sort of support system to help you get through law school? Yes. So luckily I was able to just communicate to my family, you know, this is what it takes. This is what I have to do. Um, it seems crazy, but I'm going to keep doing it. So my family is very supportive, my friends, my church. So I actually have a whole lot of support who's constantly encouraging me to get through. But as far as studying, I just have to do that away from them because there's no way that they could understand. <laughs> you can't understand unless you're in it. And it is unhealthy. I remember one time my sister saw me after like a of studying and she was just like there's something wrong with you it's like, just how you get through law school it's you're it's it's not it's not good for you um, what about you Deja I mean it sounds like you have a you're juggling a lot of balls right now and 
you're about to be a homeowner. Are you, as Passion said, um, you know, especially in your community, there's not a lot of black homeowners. Do, are you the first in your family to own a home? Actually, my great grandmother owned a home, but um, my grandmother now is living in that home. So she was the first. And my mom has been renting our whole life. That was another motivation for me to make sure I go through with this and not give up because it's been hard <laughs> like it's hard saving for it it's hard like the cost and stuff but yeah so it was my great-grandmother but that's the only other person in my family were there any other obstacles you faced with either starting the business I know the business you kind of like stumbled into but you know what <laughs> business is not in my way but like starting the business or going through year up or anything like that that you were had any struggles with that are you know are unique to you that someone from privilege wouldn't understand? Yeah, so really everything kind of goes back to uh, my 2019 year because I had, um, I mentioned it earlier, the loss of my stepfather. He, that was unexpected because uh, majority of my life, he was the father figure. Like I have a biological father, but we're not close. And um, after his passing, which he was killed, and it was by gun violence. So after that, I never really dealt with the grieving process because I have, I always have a lot on my plate. Like it's school, work, more work. So I always have a lot on my plate. So throughout year up, it's already a hard program because I have to be in school. I think we're there have to remember the hours we were there eight to three each day and I was also working at two other jobs at the time that was public and I worked at the Tropicana field and that Tropicana field is a hard job it's a lot of work like a lot of leg work so doing that staying at the baseball games which take forever and then getting back up to do year up it was a lot and I didn't understand the toll it was taking on my mental health until this year so um it's been a lot to, it's more so the mental work for me and actually understanding that I need to take a break sometimes because I can become like a workaholic. But that was the big, the biggest obstacle, like dealing with that. I mean, these are really big obstacles. <laughs> I, these were things that weren't, were, have never been on my radar. I mean, um, I've never seen gun violence. I don't, that's, I'm so sorry, Deja, to hear that. That's horrible That's okay. to hear. But also the things that you have to do with working to, to pay for things. It's just, it's yeah. things that, you know, I've been, honestly, when I met and worked down at an academy prep and I was like, oh my gosh, like my whole little privilege bubble was shattered because I saw how you know, people live that is not how I grew up. Um, and it completely changed everything for me. But you guys have been through a lot and you guys hustle a lot and have to do a lot of things that a lot of 22 year olds don't have to do. Um, and it looks like you recognize that. Fashion's like, mm -hmm, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't recognize it. But really, um, I forgot to mention why I was working so much. But my mom lost both of her jobs when COVID hit last year. So I've been paying bills here, saving for the house. And that's why I really continue the side business because I, it's not going to be enough with just my full-time job. It's not possible. And then school on top of that. So. Yeah. So COVID <laughs> really hit your family, Deja, your mom yes. lost jobs. 
Yeah, my mom was already working two jobs. I was already working two jobs and going to school to like help out. So when that got messed up, it really, I had to make a lot of sacrifices, budgets. And um, during the pandemic though, my mom did learn how to coupon. So that saved some money, but yeah. Coupon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of flaws. <laughs> so you've now been paying basically double bills. You've been doing your bills and trying to help out your family. Yeah. Are they going to be moving in with you at, in your home that you're going to be getting? Uh-uh. <laughs> no, my mom, she actually just got a job. Um, so she's going to be able to do that. And I was actually very scared. That was another reason I was scared to do Habitat because I didn't want my mom to be in a situation where she wouldn't be able to sustain like the household. So I gotcha. So what are you... So the plans now basically, days you're finishing up school um, and then what's the plan for now going into basically the financial advisor? Like, do you take a next step after that or is it just once you graduate college, you're kind of like just get into the field? So you kind of just get into it. Um, my, you have to really have your own plan. My plan is to work for um, a financial advisory firm. Uh, I don't even think they call it that anymore. They call it something else. But yeah, I want to just like work under somebody, know how it is, and then eventually have my own. Okay. And passion. How are you on the way to becoming a judge? Um, well, once I graduate law school and pass the bar, then I'll be an attorney and I'll get as much experience as possible, continue to build community relationships, and then I'll be running to be someone's judge in some local county around here. I got to tell you, Passion, most judges I see, we actually have had a lot of meetings on this in the Philadelphia area because they almost seem to be going backwards because if you look around the legal field, it's pretty slow to change. It's one of the slowest careers to change and it's really dominated by older white men. And yes. a lot of the judges, especially where I'm working, I'm shocked in Philadelphia, are, they're all white. Even if they're male or female, everyone's white. Um, and all, almost all of the judges that were hired this year were all white men. And it was just like, what's happening here? Like, our, we're not diversifying. We're actually feel like we're going backwards. So your goal is very much needed. Um, it's really awesome. What about Deja? What do you want to do as a financial advisor? Is there anything specific that drew you to it? Yeah. So really, um, ever since I was young, I noticed like my family struggling with things. And the epitome was like their lack of knowledge and how to budget and um, the rent and like Passion said, the cost of that compared to being a homeowner and with my great grandma being the only homeowner I wanted to be able to basically give back to the communities minority communities educate them on how to budget their finances where to put it and more so how with their jobs how to get a job and know how to um, be prepared for retiring and things like that it's very big on what's going to happen after you you're not working anymore because I work with 50 to 80 year olds every day and they're always saying oh I can't pay this because of social security I can't do this I'm retired and it's really like we always live in the now 
because everything comes at us so fast. It's like people don't really prepare for their future. So I want to be able to educate people and plan with them and make sure that they'll have a stable um, income for their families and themselves so they can live happy. <laughs> Is there anything that motivated you to become a judge, Passion? Um, not necessarily. I think I was just always... I'm not sure. I was just always interested in the legal field. And I just thought that that was something that I would be good at. And that's something that I stuck with and got involved in starting in high school, doing high school mock trial and then in college. And now I'm here. I think you guys are both touching on fields and careers that are very underrepresented with diverse people. And you've seen a lot of systemic racism in over the years, specifically in the legal field and the financial field, that it's really cool. You guys are going in there and kind of busting through the doors and saying, we're here, we're coming and this is what's happening. Um, so I'm kind of connected with you guys outside the podcast. I don't know if you remember when, I, well, I know you remember when George Floyd happened, but right after it, I was kind of trying to figure out like, you know, we were all stuck at home everyone was seeing what was going on and everyone really had some time to reflect. And I took a lot of time to think about like how I need to do better as a white person in this world. And um, I think George Floyd that time was kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say like, like groundbreaking for white people, but a lot of white people were like, tab, we're stuck at home and had to deal with what they were seeing. It's nothing new but it was kind of almost, it felt like a turning point for a lot of people. And it really was for me to see like, I have to do better, be a better white person, be more anti-racist. And I reached out to all of you on, I think Instagram, I sent you all a message just to let you know I was thinking about you all. Um, but for the black community, this camp, George Floyd is not, it's not new news. I mean, it's not like yeah, passion, you're like, yeah, no, like, it's not like this is the first thing that's ever happened. And it's not like people haven't been saying this for years and years. Um, and it's just kind of like now that everyone's stuck at home, and we're like, Oh, my gosh, we have to do something. But, you know, I've talked to a lot of some of my black friends who are like, I mean, it's just you guys are just starting to pay attention now, like it's been going on. Um, is there anything that you guys specifically with racism that you've dealt with over the years, or you've seen that you want to talk about. I mean, now's the time, ladies, <laughs> especially as young Black women. Oh, you want to go, Passion? You can start. <laughs> okay, so I think the main thing with me is microaggressions. Like, I don't have nothing, like, blatantly racist, like, happened to me. I Thankfully, I haven't experienced anything like that. But microaggressions are very, um, I do come across those quite a lot. Like, when it comes to my hair, the way I talk, and how I just represent myself. It's like, oh, you're not like others. Like, who are the others? Like, or, oh, I like your hair. Can I touch it? No, it's not a penny zoo. <laughs> like, because I sound friendly and I like carrying myself differently doesn't mean those things are okay and I always make sure to educate people because if just because like you say it to me and I don't react I won't react the same way somebody else would so it's very important to like educate others when like those micro like it does they're offensive but I think that's one of the things I would like to highlight because that's the thing that I deal with the most passion before you go 
I swear, I wrote down here because I wanted, I was like gathering my thoughts to talk to you guys. I wrote down that when I met you guys, I know I definitely touched your hair. Like I know when I was at Academy Prep, I definitely touched your hair. And I just like didn't, that was on me. Like I have learned since then that that is, like you said, that's a microaggression. But I was like thinking back and I was like, oh my gosh, like I was just, oh, that was so bad. Um, but I can't believe you just said that because I was like, I wrote down, I'm going to tell them that like, I need to apologize for touching their hair. Um, I have learned since then to leave your hair alone. Um, and that it is, it is, it's a, it's a racially offensive thing to do. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up, Deja, because there are a little, there are a ton of microaggressions that need to be addressed that, and I'm not saying it's excusable for white people to not know it, but they need to do better. We need to educate ourselves on it but it is it's you know it's important to listen to you to be like don't touch my hair <laughs> like, yeah the um I didn't experience it well from what I remember until I moved to Orange City because Orange City is predominantly white and Latino like I did not know how much like St. Pete like coming from AP to that I didn't know what um, the term redneck was. Like, I did not know what that meant. And then somebody had to explain it to me because I thought they were just saying like somebody's neck was red. Like, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know it was like a term. And yeah, like being at Orange City really like, that's when all of those micro direct, like no one had natural hair. I was the only girl um, it was only like, I could count on one hand how many black people went to the middle school. Like I was the only girl that had natural hair. All the other black girls that went there had relaxed hair. So everybody was very intrigued. And I know we're all kids at that time too, but I, even my mom, she always has to tell me, like she always has to give me prep talks when it came to my hair, because it wasn't common to have natural hair back then too. Um, at, at my age so when she told me like don't allow people to touch your hair like when I went to school is when I started noticing like because when she's telling me that I'm like thinking it's not gonna be like why are you telling me this until we moved and yeah that's when it all started happening I was like okay but yeah it's something honestly I didn't even think about um but now that I think about it I'm like well lord I want to erase that but um <laughs> What about you, Passion? You've been patiently waiting. <laughs> um, well, I've definitely experienced racism at a young age, just walking around St. Pete Beach, doing absolutely nothing to anyone and just being called a nigger. And it's just like, wow, like I'm a kid. Even probably this year, I think someone called me a nigger at the stoplight and I didn't do anything. I was literally just at the red light. So, but not only that, same thing with the microaggressions in high school, I went outside of my um, what would you call it, school zone to the high school that did um, Criminal Justice Academy. And there I was one of the only black people. And they would say things like, oh, you're so pretty for a black girl. Like, I don't know what that means. Or you, you dress nice or you carry yourself differently. You know, you're not the typical black girl. And they think that they're saying these things to make me feel included, but it just made me feel so yucky inside. And it was almost like I was trying to prove to them that, you know, black people can have nice things. Black people are educated. Black people dress nicely. Um, they would make jokes like black people stink or 
all types of craziness. It, it was just mind blowing. So I constantly felt like I had to prove myself and I shouldn't have had to do that as a high school student. I should have just been able to go to high school and do what I wanted to do as a kid, but I didn't have that ability. So there was a lot of pressure on me from a young age. These are more of like the burdens that, you know, kids with privilege or white kids don't see or even think about. I mean, you being called those names is horrifying, but also what you're saying is, you know, that you do have to prove yourself that you shouldn't have to. It's, it is, it's almost treating, you know, I was in um, a restaurant the other day with my friend and he's black and um, there was a group sitting next to us just bashing Black Lives Matter and talking about how all lives matter. We were right, we were right next to them. And then the waitress joined and I was like, should we leave? I don't know if we can sit here. Um, and I was like, how are they saying this when you're sitting right next to them? And he was just like, it's because they think I'm like different. Like I'm not those black people. Like I'm a different type of black person. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's, I just, it's just so, it's, so sickening to think about like uh, making people others and almost dehumanizing people just because of the color of their skin. Um, I can't, you guys are so young just to experience burdens and things of this nature that again, I didn't even realize. I remember the first time I learned, I really learned about racism towards someone I love when I was in college and my best friend was half black. And he told me this horrifying story about a girl he was dating and how her father treated him. And I was like, what, wait, what happened to you? Why? And he was like, cause I'm black. And I was like, but I don't understand, like who cares? And he was like, a lot of people care. And it was just so foreign to me. Um, but it's everyday life for you guys. And it's just, I can't wrap my mind around it. Um, then it's just yeah. it's a sad state. What about, um, it, if we can move from racism for a second, you guys are also women. Um, and I know I experienced sexism. Um, I'm not gonna necessarily equate it to racism, but do you guys experience anything that you think you're specifically targeted against as being young females? Yeah, um, wait, I'll let you go. I feel like I'm talking so much fashion. <laughs> Um, well, I definitely feel like um, sometimes there's just more opportunities for men just because of the different expectations or the assumptions about women, especially in the workplace. I know the field that I'm going to, it's predominantly men and even not only just white men or not even just predominantly being men, but white men. Um, and then there's white women and then there's black women. So I'm fighting not only just race, but also my gender. And so I'm constantly pushing through, but no matter what, you know, it's just what we have to deal with, but it's predominantly in the workplace where I see it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you do see kind of like on the food chain of how people are treated. You have like your white straight males up at the top and then black women are down below there at the bottom there. And they're you know, white women are <laughs> treated better than black women. So you're right, you are fighting race as well as sexism, especially in the legal field. Dej, what were you gonna say? Um, I actually was gonna ask, do you watch Insecure? Because passion reminds me of <laughs> this character on there because <laughs> there is this character named Molly 
And I will always remember this episode because I was so scared that this would happen to you, Passion. But when she seeing her colleagues check and who was a white male and she's a lawyer as well on the show. So when she seen the check and she seen the difference in the amount because for some reason they got switched. I'm like, there that can really happen to my best friend. Like I do not know. I don't want that. But for my experiences, I get I take calls all day. So people hear my voice and they automatically assume that I'm just a young white girl and they automatically treat me different. I had a customer just blatantly ask like who I voted for and like what my race was over the phone because they just couldn't tell. And I'm like, why was that important? <laughs> like, so, what and then- in that situation, Deja? Do you, do, what do you do? How do you handle that? I just don't, I evade like as much as I can. Yeah, I, that's what is so tough because it's a recorded line and then the computers are recorded. So it's a lot to be in that situation and then you don't want to lose your job. Yeah, It's really tough. So I try to evade the whole question, say, okay, well, is there anything else I can do for you? Because I cannot answer that. What would I cut you off to? You were about to say something after that. Do you remember? It's okay if you don't. I don't think I do. <laughs> so kind of on that note though, because obviously racism, sexism, classism, you are you two are experiencing all of it. Um, and you're fighting all of it. And unfortunately, this country is built to try to keep everything that you identify as down while you two are both pushing through. But um, you know, there the feminist movement notoriously left out black women's voices. Um, so there was actually almost racism in the progressive sexism movement. Um, in terms of Black Lives Matter, that, or just like the racial equity movement, um, do you feel that black women are being represented well in the movement? Or do you feel like there's some sexism in that as well? I know that's a kind of a tough question. I know you don't represent like Black Lives Matter movement, but just in general, like, do you feel like you're being represented in the push for racial equity? No, I like there was before George Floyd, there was Sandra Bland and no one really gave that nearly as much as attention. And I just feel like it's a constant tug, like tongue word, like, with when it comes to the black woman and um but yeah I feel like there's still we're making a little progress but it's not nearly as much as to the the amount we are to the man the black man mm -hmm. well yeah I was thinking that because I saw something with all of the names of the police killings over the years of all the black people and there's like like two girls made it on there and I was like, this can't be it. Like, that can't just be it. Like, it can't just be Breonna Taylor. <laughs> like, there's got to be more. But I don't, I, maybe it's not. I don't really know. Um, and I'm obviously not a Black woman. So I don't know how, if you do feel represented or not in the movement. I know in the feminist movement, Black women do not feel represented. It feels like the white women are just kind of focusing on themselves and their issues and not actually even trying to address the issues that the Black women deal with. Um, Passion, did you have any like thought on that? I'm, you have a lots of thoughts. I've seen your Instagram girlfriend. 
Oh no, we paused. I say it's not in movement. Oh, did it freeze? Wait, hold on. Okay. Hold on five seconds. Hold on, the internet is reconnecting because I missed that. Okay, let's start again from when I asked you, Passion, if you have any thoughts. <laughs> yeah, so I feel that Black women are at the forefront of the Black Lives Matter movement. They're pushing for it. However, when it's time to actually fight for the Black woman, the voices are low. They're not screaming. You know, they're not pushing. It's not that same. It's not that same heartfelt movement or heartfelt actions that's going towards the Black women. Our actions are always to protect the Black men, and I feel that Black women should be more protected, but there's just not that same fight. Yes, even the, um, the Black, the female activists, like, they need more protection. I mean, all activists do, but I really feel like they do, and it's gotten to a point, like, I was... Um, just up thinking about if I have a child, what am I going to tell them? Like how to be prepared? And I'm really scared to have a girl because of this. Like just thinking about that and processing how they would be represented if there would be change by the time they're my age and just hoping for the best. It's like really a lot and it's just heavy hearted. What was last election? I remember being like, Joe Biden needs to write all black women a thank you note because they came through for him. And I felt like all I saw right after the election, after he won, was saying, you know, black women are always the unsung heroes. They come in, they save us from literally imploding. And then they're pushed to the side and forgotten again. Um, and I just remember seeing that and being like this, this is just such a shitty gig. It's just nonsense. And I do really hope that there is change coming. Um, I think we've all been saying that. And I think President Biden owes a lot to a lot of people who came through for him for this election. So we'll see. Are there any final thoughts you guys want to give on racism or sexism? Anything that you've experienced or like things you hope to change or happen? You can say no if you don't have any. I just hope that the mentalities are, I hope we all as a nation, as a world, come on one accord that just because the color of your skin is different does not mean you are not human. It does not mean you don't have emotions. And um, that goes the same for your gender. You should not treat anyone any differently. Um, it goes back to what we're all taught in elementary school. It's like basic principles of humanity. Treat people how you would like to be treated. And not everybody, you don't know anyone's mental state. That could have been their last thing for they wanted to do something to themselves or just felt like their life wasn't worth it. So. P. Wells, you got anything? You good? Um, yes, I would just like to say that I hope we all you know, are more, more focused on understanding other people's cultures and their backgrounds and welcoming them and understanding. I know for me, just going into the workplace, I had to be mindful of what type of hairstyle that I was going, that I was going to go into a law firm with. I didn't want to come with the hairstyle that was ghetto, certain things that I might normally do, you know, certain nails, you know, something that I feel is part of my culture, how I dress. I had to keep that in mind. So I hope that other young Black girls coming into the field after me don't have to be so conscious of that and that they can just be true to themselves and not be worried about 
whether I will be hired back on simply based on whether I'm a good fit, not because of the quality of the work that I do, but because I, because of how I appear, because it may be different. That was awesome. I mean, you're, you're right. It's breaking. You need to break the mold basically. Mm -hmm. So that other people behind you know that you can be yourself and there's nothing wrong with wearing your hair natural or, you know, whatever you want to do. I'm not going to use the phrase ghetto, but you did it, but saying you, you can show up as your culture and mm -hmm. still be taken seriously as a professional. The professional world is so whitewashed. And I remember when I was getting ready and we weren't allowed to have nail polish on, we weren't allowed to wear hoop earrings. Um, now I do, I wear this to court, like I don't care. But when I was, that was only seven years ago, we weren't allowed to wear nail polish. And I was like, this is so stupid. I mean, that's obviously nothing like you're experiencing, but it is, they are trying to, they were just wanting, you had to be in suits. Like I don't wear suits, I wear a dress. So it is very much passion what you're saying. You are paving the way um, for a strong black woman to go in there and be herself and same Deja and Deja. I love what you said about mental health. I like not knowing what anyone else is going through. I think that's on the forefront now too. Oh, yeah. oh sorry. Can I say one more thing about that? Yes, you can. <laughs> I don't want to cut you off, but there's a lot of, um, like for what I experienced at my school alone, there's a lot of suicides like there's and that's for any race like it's very important to acknowledge someone's mental state and really take in your own because I didn't know how important that was until I had a mental breakdown and didn't know what I was experiencing I thought I was dying but like it really your mental state takes a lot of like energy from you and it affects your physical state so always take care of yourself and others like it doesn't matter if you know them or not just be a nice human I love that. And you're so right. And you are at a young age to even realize that a lot of adults still do not understand their mental health and how important it is to talk about it.